Once I see you, the device works properly. Then release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Realize what will happen. Oh yes. You. Well, I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity. Keep back. And welcome to Reversing Polarity, the podcast that explains exactly why gay rhymes with Omega. <laughs> Omega, do you mean? <laughs> my name is Rosie, my pronouns are they, them. My, my name is Aim, my pronouns are also they, them. We haven't recorded, we've, we've moved to a different recording schedule and it feels fresh and new. <laughs> uh, the energy feels weird this week, but I think that's just the energy yeah. feeling weird this week anyway. Yeah, it's it's an odd week. Um but anyway, what serial are we doing this time, eh? We are watching Arc of Infinity by Johnny Byrne. Our old friend, Johnny Byrne. <laughs> he didn't fuck off on holiday for this one. <laughs> um, I fucking love this story. I've seen it before, but I completely forgot which one it was because, as we previously uh... established, I have no memory. But I picked the DVD case up this morning to watch it, saw Colin Baker's face on the back, and literally jumped with joy. Yeah. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's a delightful episode. There's Gallifrey and bullshit. Yes, Gallifrey and bullshit. The best kind. <laughs> had you seen this one before? I had not. Um, my five experiences are a lot more spaced out than I'd realised. I was like, wait, so when does the five doctors come in? And I checked and it was like at least five serials away. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> um, I did know of it before, obviously, because of Colin Baker's star turn in it. But I had not watched it. I think I used to get it confused with Ark in Space. <laughs> understandable um can't can't blame you for that but yeah no i had a very good time with it um obviously i loved anissa and tegan reuniting (gasps) after tegan's extremely brief departure from the (laughs) hey we don't know how long it was for either of them between yeah this is uh season 20 the first serial of season 20 um and when i opened up BritBox to click on it it said i'd already watched 11 minutes and i was like no i haven't and then i opened it and it was nissa saying about reversing the polarity so that's where i got the audio clip from (laughs) there's a lot of reversing polarity it's almost like this episode was made for us and only us it's almost like it's about matty and antimatter matter and antimatter i can't speak who's matty where does matty come into this I promise that I can speak. I've, ha- I've been teaching this week, and some Ugh. of the sometimes I would start saying a sentence and just dissolve into going blah 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 blah. And I thought of you. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm so glad to have influenced you. Yes. Well. Anyway, would you like to let, let's get into our recap? Let's do it. So Omega, an ancient time lord made of pure antimatter. Yes. Once defeated by the Doctor, is plotting to cross over into this dimension by bonding with the Doctor. Meanwhile, the disappearance of a man in Amsterdam piques the curiosity of his cousin, Tegan, who previously left the Doctor at Heathrow Airport and now finds herself at Omega's mercy. Fearing total destruction from the collision of matter and antimatter, the Time Lords recall the Doctor to Gallifrey to undertake the only viable solution, (laughs) executing him. It's It's a very fun premise. High drama, I love it. It is, and yet, oddly, I feel like the story is extremely low stakes in its own way. <laughs> like, the first Omega story is like, 
I will destroy the universe of matter and replace it with the universe of antimatter, or mm-hmm. I'm gonna, you know, there's a lot of destruction involved, and Omega's voice actor is, like, going for it. And I think that he's good here, too. But it's no, like, this universe is constructed only of my will! <laughs> um, when he brought up Will later in this episode, I was extremely excited. I was like, oh my god, there he is. <laughs> he's using the force of his will to <laughs> do something. I don't remember what. <laughs> but something indeed. I'm just trying to see how something many indeed. how many stories does Omega in? He's in three stories. Look this at you, one, right off the bat. This one, the three doctors, and then he's also mentioned in the Timeless Children. Uh, so ah. this is his second and final appearance in the uh, classic series. But I think because he's part of like Gallifreyan history, mm. he feels like a larger presence. Especially because the three doctors are such a banger. It's... Such a fun episode. I would it's absolutely love to have more of it. Yes. Right, episode one. On Yay. Gallifrey, a, yeah, on Gallifrey, a Time Lord is at work stealing the biodata extract of another Time Lord and killing a technician who stumbles across the crime. The traitor provides the biodata to a creature composed of antimatter and uses the biodata to invade the TARDIS and then the Fifth Doctor's metabolism. This is like the first 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> I was quite confused for the opening couple of scenes, but that's mainly because our DVD player's a bit glitchy. But it, it's fine. I was having a great time with the inversion effect that they have for <laughs> Omega. I was like, oh, oh, it's Omega. Like, I knew it was Omega anyway. I suppose it's supposed to be a surprise. But I was like, oh, they've got a guy who's in reverse, which means antimatter. It's like, I don't know, if some guy starts walking backwards in Superman cartoon, I assumed <laughs> that Bizarro was around somewhere. And it's quite the effect as well. It's glowy. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's actually quite well executed considering they've only snipped out that part to be in reverse or inverse Mm. or whatever it's called. Negative! We're a media criticism podcast. We're a media criticism podcast, but that doesn't mean that we are experts. (laughs) (laughs) The Doctor's companion Nyssa helps him recover. Nyssa! Nyssa is an absolute gem. It's also nice just to see the dynamic between just Five and Nyssa. I really enjoyed their back and forth. This is like... The point between this and I think the previous one was Time Flight. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> um, the point between those two is where a lot of Fifth Doctor and Nyssa uh, audios are set. So I like to imagine that Spare Parts has happened in the middle here. Ooh, I um, need to listen to Spare Parts. You do. Everyone needs to listen to Spare Parts. Everyone I had a dream I listened to it. I had a dream I woke <laughs> up and I knew I'd listened to Spare Parts, but I couldn't remember what happened in it. That's fair. I, w- I wish I could know what the dream version of Spare Parts was like. <laughs> so do I. I wish I could recall these bizarre dreams. My dreams are very mundane most of the time. The creature is shielded in this attempt by the Arc of Infinity, a curious curve between the dimensions containing quad magnetism which can shield antimatter. I fucking love the technobabble. Bullshit. But I love it. Yeah it's, yeah, it's stupid and nonsense, but it's also good. And there's an incredible effect for the Arc of Infinity <laughs> that's like a kind of... Um, it reminded me of like chopstick rests you know <laughs> where it's like flared yeah. at the end yeah. Um, yeah that's the shape in case anyone <laughs> needs a reference for that um, the doctor decides to head to Gallifrey I don't, don't think, think he, he decides does. to head to Gallifrey I think he just no. um, is brought against his doctor's... will yeah the doctor's TARDIS is uh, recalled to Gallifrey by the high council mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of high council bullshit in this one as well yes. um the Doctor is forced to head to Gallifrey to track down the supplier of his biodata, conscious that unless the creature trying to cross universes is stopped, its incursion could cause a fatal chain reaction to the universe. Of it the is quite being. high stakes. 
when you put yeah, it that it way. Yeah, it is quite high stakes. The antimatter, the antimatter's reaction with matter is that it explodes, which we established in the Three Doctors. God, mm. I can't, we, I can't talk about the Three Doctors too much, or I'll just be like, man, I wish we were watching that. <laughs> We will be. This is really good to be clear. We will be. This is really good to be clear. I just think that maybe before you watch it, you could watch the three doctors maybe like three or four times. Um. <laughs> That's quite a conservative estimate there. Yeah, you know, like consecutively, like have a marathon and then watch this. And then maybe watch the three doctors again just for flavour. <laughs> it's like the salt and pepper diner. You have to throw in like one, it's not unusual. <laughs> um <sighs> No reaction to my terrible joke. I appreciate it. I did. I, I was trying I... to figure out how we could link the three doctors to what's new pussycat. <laughs> There's got to be something there. There's got to be. Know... I don't know the song well enough. It's like, like, like you know, two shows up in the TARDIS and starts playing what's new pussycat on the on recorder. his recorder. Work. Um, anyway, I think it does. I begged. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile in Amsterdam. The Netherlands, not Netherlands, American TARDIS wiki episode. Um, backpackers Robin Stewart and Colin Fraser decide to crash at the crypt of the Frankendale mansion, or Frankendahl. Um, I would, if I had the chance, absolutely do this. I like that um, Robin is like, oh, I know a place, because Robin's lost his passport, so they can't, mm-hmm. I guess, check into a hostel that they, like, they can't book a new hostel. And they've got a new one booked for the day after when Tegan is going to arrive. Yay! Yay! Um, so Robin is like, well, there's this one place. It's cheap and central. <laughs> um, and then it's it turns out to be cheap as in it's free. Yeah. Colin is not convinced by the crypt, but they, they bed down. Um, you know, it. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but I, I just think that uh, backpacking together is a little bit gay, fellas. Is it gay to go to Amsterdam and sleep in a crypt? Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm sure there's lots of other things you could be doing in Amsterdam that they weren't allowed to mention on the BBC at half past five in the afternoon. You are correct. Um, Like, I I like the use of Amsterdam. I think that as a setting, it would be extremely funny if the red light district was even obliquely mentioned. (laughs) Um, Anyway, during the night, Colin hears something and investigates. It sounds like a TARDIS noise. It's essentially the TARDIS materialization noise. Um, he finds a curious bird-like creature, the Ergon, which hypnotizes him. Yeah. Hypnotizes him. What is it? Hypnotizing. Bingo. <laughs> I did not interpret this as hypnotism, but I should. Have Me done. neither. Oh but God. I'm glad it's there. Thank God. It makes a lot a more terrified... sense with that bit of context. Yeah, a terrified Robin runs away. The High Council of the Time Lords is also taking the matter seriously and has re- decreed that the Doctor's Tardis should be recalled. Yeah, we sorted that. The Chancellery Guard, un- understandably, under the overzealous, yeah, overzealous Commander Maxil seizes the Doctor and Nyssa. When the Doctor resists arrest, Maxil shoots him. So good. Of oh, God, let's talk about Maxil for a second. <laughs> Colin Baker. So Maxil, Maxil is played by. Ah, dear friend Colin Baker. Yes, yes. And good God, is he acting his little heart out. Yes, and not in a chewing the scenery way, just in a, he is like, I'm on Doctor Who, this is going to be the best performance of my fucking life, because I might never be back on Doctor Who, my favourite television programme. He's wearing this militaristic uniform with this helmet with, like, pastel blue and pink plumage. Yep, it's, so it's the bi- it's the bi- it's the bi flag colours, um, I think. It is. He's um, just he's so good. He's having a delightful cut time shooting the doctor. 
just yeah he really is living his best life stealing the show as yeah ever. And this is this first episode i think is like really well paced on the like the splitting of time between amsterdam and gallifrey like mm. it feels like quite balanced which it doesn't do quite so well later on <laughs> but, yeah um, i think you're right you know, it's fun. I'm assuming it was... I, I have to assume it's location filming in Amsterdam, which is very exciting. Yep. They had three so, days they... to do all the Amsterdam stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Including, oh, wow. there's a scene that comes on later, which they literally shot as they were arriving at the airport. That's fun. Yep. I don't think you could do that these days. No, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know why. What, what has changed in this world? Well, something. Mm. Shall, shall we episode to it? Yes, let's epi- let's get episode to it. <laughs> the doctor has been stunned to ensure his delivery to the high council. When he's brought before the- when he's brought before the high council, the new lord president Barusa is Barusa, <laughs> who is a fantastic high president, lord president. However, he is really fun. I just always think of the five doctors when I see him. <laughs> this would just be a multi-doctor episode podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> when we actually get to one, we're going to be fucking insufferable. It's going to be a four-hour-long marathon. Yes. It's going to be great. Yes. It's going to be um, worse than the Demons episode. <laughs> better than the Demons episode, okay. I think you Okay. Mean. Okay. So, Barusa is inscrutable, while <laughs> Chancellor Thalia and Cardinal Zorak are openly hostile. Only his old friend, Councillor Hayden, seems pleased to see him. Chancellor Thalia, girl boss. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. I just really enjoy the Time Lord dynamics here. Yeah. She makes it a three-woman serial. I just want to point that out. We, met, we got she a three-woman serial. Wow, um, our standards are low. Yeah, they really are. I think last time was a four-woman serial. Can you believe it? The Time Monster's better than Arkham Infinity. <laughs> Scientifically proven. <laughs> This episode does not pass the Bechdel test. It does not pass the Bechdel test. Um, Actually, no, it definitely does. But (laughs) Because of Nyssa and Tegan talking to each other. They don't really have many scenes with just the two of them. But she says that she missed. (laughs) But the Doctor's present. Does it have to be just the two of them in the scene, or is it just the two of them talking to each other? I'd always assumed it as the former. Please tweet us with your interpretation. Okay, look it up, fine. We can also get them to tweet us, but you know. (laughs) Right, the movie has to have at least two women in it who talk to each other about something other than a man. Okay. This is for the this is for the queerness uh, test. This is not for the feminism test because it's quite a sim- <laughs> it's an extremely under the ground low bar for the feminism test to have two oh women in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for the queerness test, we pass with flying colours because Nissa and Tegan are in love. They're um, very in we'll love. We'll get to that. We'll get to yes. that. Yeah, Councillor Hedin Hedin is played by Michael Goff, who mm-hmm. was previously the Celestial Toy Maker. Yes. Um, one day they might discover the rest of that. Because uh, I don't think that the BBC is going to have it animated. I hope that they bring the Celestial Toymaker back for New Who. Yeah, I think that it could be such a fun concept if they didn't go with the Orientalist aspect. Yeah. But you know, I think we need to bring back Mufan. We've talked about this before. We need to bring back the land of fiction. We need to bring back the warlords. That's not necessarily fun, but it's a, a variety, you know. We need to bring for, back... for a story full of literal war, it is fun. Yeah, I don't think like, if the oh, war games were done today, Lord. it wouldn't be fun. 
Yeah, there's Time Lords and there's Warlords. We need more. We need, like, you know, Comedy Lords. <laughs> comedy Lords. We need That's episodes. us. We're the Comedy we need, Lords. We need, like, comic relief episodes where it is just a comedic episode. I miss yeah. that. Like, not even Love and Monsters is a comedic episode. <laughs> Excuse me, I will defend Love and Monsters. No, I'm not saying it's bad, Aim. I'm saying that it has serious elements and I don't want any of that. I want Black Orchid. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder when the last time a completely comedy Doctor Who story happened within, like, the on-screen universe. Oh my god. I mean, <laughs> The Chase is a comedy, but that's 1965. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Ooh. I, don't, I haven't listened, I haven't watched enough of it, but I think that we need to bring back, like, at least more comedic episodes, you know? Yeah. Like, The Lodger is mostly comedic, and I like The Lodger, despite James Corden being... James Gordon. I'm gonna I'm gonna charitably say irritating. <laughs> God, I got that off track. I'm sorry. Oh, it was great. It was a lovely little jog down comedy lane. Yes. Back Please on Gallifrey. Please do it with your ideas for more comedy. Yeah, give us your two hundred. <laughs> um, give us your two hundred and eighty character pitch. You yes, have no please. power to make it happen. The president stresses the gravity of the situation since the creature poses such a threat to the universe and the High Council has no alternative <laughs> but to issue a warrant of termination on the Doctor to ensure the creature can no longer bond with him. Uh, the concept of them bonding is just wild to me. It's very gay. It's um, incredibly gay. It's 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 very Omega wants the Doctor's body, huh? Like, it's 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 very it's a very mastery kind of motivation. It's a nice diversion <laughs> from the Master who usually wants the Doctor's body. Yeah, I also love the phrasing of warrant of termination. They're not going to call it a death sentence. They're not going to call, call it execution. Like, and yet, that's exactly what it is. Mm. It's a very time lordy kind of prevarication. Like, yes. you know. I wonder what is... other society would choose such language to make their atrocious deeds sound so mundane. Hmm, wouldn't possibly be England. Westward. Couldn't possibly hear. Couldn't possibly be England, America, France. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anywhere who is. Done colonialism. Fortunately, it's a good thing we have Doctor Who, so that we don't have to think about anything political ever. Because Doctor Who's never been political. Never in its entire lifetime, never been political. Um, thanks, no. our enemy Terence Dicks, for making that point. <laughs> Fortunately, Sorry. an old friend, Damon, who is another technician in the records section, provides him with the proof he needs that a member of the High Council stole his biodata extract. Handsome old friend, Damon. Very yep. loyal old friend, Damon. <laughs> yep. A, a good Time Lord, question mark, question mark, question mark? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's not clear whether Damon's a Time Lord or if he's Gallifreyan, right? Like, I don't know if they it's have so that distinction. It's so hard to get that. Yeah. It depends like, which bit of canon you want to look at to decide. If you look at the Timeless Children, then... <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the Doctor Who media iceberg... <laughs> Right at the bottom, underneath Faction Paradox, we have being serious about looms. <laughs> it's okay. We'll stop talking about looms now so that Aim can continue to be alive. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I just... That buzzing noise happens in my head whenever I remember after. Anyway, Damon. Yeah. Um, the... The whole thing about stealing the biodata extract, right? This, uh, this is... I'm mm. going to talk about the Matrix later, but the Matrix is like... The Time Lord AI virtual reality computer it's that cloud. thing. It's very yeah, it's very eighties. It's 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's their cloud storage. Um, and the biodata extract, I guess, is like every Time Lord has their biodata extract stored in the Matrix, but only the High Council can authorize the transmission of the data. Otherwise, sounds it's just... incredibly Time Lord. Yeah, it's like um, blockchain. <laughs> I don't know what blockchain is. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, there's this whole thing about NFTs or whatever, and I'm like, is a Time Lord an NFT if you sell their biodata extract? I don't know. Tweet it, tweet it now. Omega's doing blockchain. And I know that if you know what Bitcoin is, you're probably going to be really mad at me for not knowing, but Bitcoin's destroying the planet, so like... If anybody knows what Bitcoin is and gets mad at somebody for not knowing, they aren't worth my time. <laughs> that's valid that's valid yeah, right just just, just the episode yeah an important an, an important event is about to take place meanwhile the doctor's former companion tegan javanka yes! arrives in amsterdam looking for her co- cousin colin Woo! in her beautiful new outfit as well the little yes. white jumpsuit which she now wears forever <laughs> because of course instead she's greeted by robin colin's boyfriend who tells yep. her that Colin has disappeared. When neither of them can persuade the police to take an interest because tourists get lost all the time. Yeah, because um, ACAP. Exactly. Um, yep. Doctor Who's not political, though. No, no, of course not. They decide to investigate the crypt themselves. Of course they do. Tegan is an do. amateur detective who's learnt from her time in the doctor with the Doctor how to deal with spooky crypts. And yeah, I'm Robin, here for it. Yeah. Robin tells her everything that happened and she's like, oh, fuck's sake, aliens. You know, (laughs) like you can tell she's really annoyed about having to deal with the aliens. (laughs) Colin is just, no, Robin is just so hesitant to do anything. Poor small boy, small child. It's a bad time to be alone in Amsterdam without a passport. I hope the doctor gave him a lift back to London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Meanwhile, back in Gallifrey, the Doctor is soon taken for execution, despite Nissa's attempts to save him. With a place... ray gun! Nissa does a lot of shooting in this yeah. story. And if, if you... <sighs> yeah. We love If you know Josh Nurs at all, if you follow them on Twitter, they constantly post this one image of Nissa holding a gun. And it is from Ark of Infinity, and as soon as it happened, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> it's the meme! Um... Yeah, St- subscribe or Nissa will shoot. Subscribe to the podcast or Nissa will get you. <laughs> yeah, and the, the 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 cliffhanger for this episode is that the sentence is carried out. So yeah, we finished episode vanishes. one with the Doctor being shot, and now <laughs> he's been killed. Episode two, he got fogged. There was fog. Because <laughs> they needed to use that fog machine again, I guess. They, they get a lot of value for money from it. Yeah, I wonder when the last time they logged it out was. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of the episodes that lead up to this, I guess. Maybe it came out in Time Flight, I don't know. Maybe they had a rental. But we'll see. We'll, we'll have fun with Time Flight, I'm sure. I was still enjoying the story during this. I enjoyed it for yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I enjoyed the whole story. I think that the pacing gets a bit screwy in the last episode, but until yeah. that point, it's like, oh, great, yeah. No, I get it. Um, this episode again, it like introduces new things and it changes like what's going on. Although the, mm-hmm. there's still the thing about like in the first episode they're calling the doctor back and then they're like, "Well, we can't fix it, so we're gonna kill you to fix it." And he's like, "Okay, I guess." <laughs> it's there's yeah. some good bitchy five content in this serial because he's ex- it's he's I so love done. him. 
I love Five. I always forget, and then he turns up, and I'm like, oh, that's my little boy. That's my man. Um, he is, which is, is true snarky bitch, and I adore him. Yes. My wife is a bitch, and I like him so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so episode three. Let's get into Let's it. it. This one has some great special effects. Yes. Um, the supposed death of the Doctor, however, has not solved the situation. Unbeknownst to the High Council, his mind has been taken into the Time Lord living repository of knowledge, the Matrix, while his body is hidden behind a force shield in the Termination Cubicle. <laughs> I love everything about this concept. It's yes. absolute bullshit. Yeah, it's yeah. so much the- fun. Yeah. The creature, which is what they've been calling the negative Omega, because they don't know that it's Omega yet, because he looks different. The creature is a renegade Time Lord who demands an opportunity to return to the universe he once inhabited. The truth of the aborted execution is discovered by the wily Castellan, who, while questioning Nyssa and Damon about their involvement, involvement, tells them that the Doctor is alive. The mm. Castellan summons and then tells the High Council. This Castellan, he's the guy who says, no, not the mind probe, right? I think so, yeah. No, not the mind probe. <laughs> the dance mix, again, it always has to come up because I'm always thinking about it. Every day I, I wake up mm-hmm. and I think, no, not the mind probe. My dreams of conquest. Is it and your alarm the, the, the clock noise? No, it's not. At the moment, my alarm clock noise is the bitch's back from Rocket Man. <laughs> I love it. I'm up and listening to radio too in the morning, so that's where I'm at. Fair. I have not listened to the radio since I was lost in my dad's car, so a long time. <laughs> or actually, probably when my dad was cooking something. Yeah. I, I think I made him listen to a podcast and we were lost in the car. <laughs> fair. Very That's what fair. I do. I, I make my dad listen to podcasts, such as our own podcast. I think he's on the keys of Marinus at the moment. <laughs> oh, bless him. He's the one who follows us on Twitter. Shout out yes. to Rosie's dad. Shout out to my dad. Um... But yeah, so Tegan and Robin are attacked by the Ergon's weapon, a matter converter, and transported into a TARDIS hidden at the Frankendale and belonging to the Renegade. None of this is really communicated through speech. <laughs> it, it's, it happens. Yep. And, and then it's there's a roundels. little confusing. There's roundels and I go, oh, so it's a TARDIS. Mm. And then I go, so was that weird doorway a TARDIS? Because there's this weird doorway that like opens with light mm. behind it. I'm like, is that a TARDIS? I... Fine, I guess. Um, I'm just imagining that butterfly, the butterfly meme. Is this a TARDIS? <laughs> That's how I bloody feel looking around. It's like when <laughs> later on, when Five goes into the room, he's like, now we just have to find what form his ta- he's chosen his for his TARDIS. <laughs> like, where's Wally? <laughs> Um, I know there was the where like the Where's the Weeping Angel book that got published a mm. while ago. I can't remember what it was called, the book, but you know it had that kind of vibe. There's definitely like Where's Who and stuff. Yeah, that it might be that one. Um, their minds are scanned, revealing to the creature that Tegan knows the Doctor. He puts his hand like over her head, and then mm. um, it kind of does this big flashing effect, like really bright light, and then uh, goes back in. <clears throat> The renegade uses Tegan as bait to force the Doctor to obey him, also releasing Colin from his slavery as a reward. This whole effect where the Doctor is kind of reclining in the Matrix and talking to Omega, who's in the top corner, and then Tegan appears at the side, and none of the... It's not the golden ratio, is what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It's a shot composition. Yeah, it's... It's a shot composition. Thank you. You've got what I was trying to go for. If you want some good shot compositions... 
90s Trek is full of some fucking great compositions. I mean, 90s Trek is full of pretty good direction, but sometimes it's extremely boring direction, the same way that a lot of Doctor Who direction can get boring if you're not Christopher Barry, our best friend. (laughs) Our patron, Christopher Barry. Yes, our uncle, Christopher Barry. (laughs) Oh, best, best dude. Um... But yes, so the Doctor is returned to normal space on Gallifrey, where he makes for the High Council Chamber. Understandable. What else was he going to do? Yeah. He reunites with Nyssa and uh, uh, Damon at this point, mm-hmm. who are like, we thought you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole thing with like, you know, Maxwell and his guards are still wandering about. There's a bit of like sneaking about. Not very effective yeah. sneaking about. This entire summary is really understating Maxwell's presence in the story, which is... Yeah, he's there a lot. Um, and he's, he's the wonderful. best part of it. You should watch the story for Maxwell because yes, yes, you can good. see Peter. You can see five saw this guy's face and he was like, "Yeah, it's a good face." And then when he regenerated, his subconscious was like, "Guess that's the face now. That's our face forever. <laughs> Enjoy." Was was five crushing on Maxwell, and that's why he was occupying some brain space during the regeneration? That's what I was. That I mean. Is that I how it works? Say it, but now you've said it. I, like, I the mean, idea is now think... vocalized. That's how Romana and Princess Astra worked, I think, personally. <laughs> Time Lord culture is gay. Time Lord culture this essay, is gay. I will. Yes, they are all bad gays, and that's valid of them. Um, should... That should just be the premise of this podcast. Time Lord gay. I mean, that is the premise of the podcast. <laughs> uh, oh god, what was You're not it? wrong. Uh, Lord Dark. President Barusa has fallen under suspicion of being a traitor because the Castellan reveals it was his codes that were used to transmit the biodata. Now, it should be noted that the Doctor just kind of knows the President's codes. So anyone could conceivably have used <laughs> Barusa's codes. I like the idea that there's like one set of codes for any President and the Doctor was Lord President at one point. Would he still have some access? He never really acted as Lord President. Well, that's it. I think that's at the end of the five doctors, so it doesn't work. <laughs> no, this is a bit in four exactly. after the deadly assassin. He's ele- four's elected as yeah, four's elected <laughs> as high president of Gallifrey, and then just fucks off. Oh yeah, because then they make him return to his post at the end of five, and then he's like, "Let me just go for a minute. I need to like, yep, part of my nose," and then he just leaves forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. If six, my point is that if six had ever returned to Gallifrey beyond the trial of a time lord, he and Maxwell would have had a very awkward reunion. Um, I need this. Where is the fanfic? I don't know. Maybe there's a short trip. I did not encounter one, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. Oh, mm. uh, where am I? Uh, the truth, however, is that Hedin is the traitor, or he didn't have you say it, Michael Goff. He is in awe of his master, the mighty Omega, first of the Time Lords and pioneer of time travel. Hey, I'm just going to start pronouncing it in different ways. Haydn wishes to release Omega from his exile in a universe of antimatter, not realising the great Time Lord has been driven mad by his years of solitary confinement. The Castellan kills Hedon, but this does not prevent Omega using the Ark of Infinity to seize total control of the Matrix and therefore the organisation of Gallifrey. Love it. It's so dramatic. It's so preposterously over the top. The thing is, he does all of this, and it's so high stakes, and then all he wants is a human body to do what with? Or <laughs> like, a time I guess lord body. To, a time a time lord body, pardon me, I shouldn't say human. A time lord body to live in, and that's like his primary motivation to the extent that he rushes it so that mm-hmm. it doesn't work in episode four. It feels like 
Maybe we're building it up a little bit too much to just be Scooby doing around the streets of Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to sort of touch on Hayden's motivation of being in awe of the fa- the like the pioneer of time travel and the first of the Time Lords, in that it's such a flawed human motivation. Like yeah. I've seen this story play out time and time again in various franchises and stories, envying a pioneer or a founder of something only for. Like, your expectation of them to be completely let down, the sort of never meet your, meet your hero style. And I would have enjoyed it to play a little bit more into that. I, d- I don't mean to harp on about it. It reminds me of the three doctors when two and three are talking about how they were always told of the greatness of Omega. So they're kind of building up. It's, I don't know. Hmm. I don't think there really is a technically equivalent version that's not just like, we were told this guy was great, but it turns out he's a massive racist. Like, it's different with Omega, because it was like, we were told he's great, and it turns out he wants to take over the universe, which is a slightly different motivation that I can understand more. <laughs> yeah. Um, or understand at all. But, like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's fun having uh, Hedon kind of, like, like I, I, I kind of guessed it was him pretty much from the moment I was like, his, the voice of this traitor sounds exactly like Hedon. It's just slightly high pitched. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that it was good. a they shocking revelation. Yeah. But they should have done the John so Carpenter weird. thing of having some random crew member sit there and like <laughs> dub it rather than, you know, revealing it all with having Michael Goff do a voice. Um, but there we are. He is good. He's very good he in is. the serial. I also wonder how much of... Have you seen The Timeless Children yet? Or are you still not... No. <laughs> I wish I had. I wish I had so I could find out why everyone... Like, I know why everyone hates it. but like... I like it. I enjoy okay. The Timeless Children. I like the concept. I'm going to see the how I like the execution. The wasn't great, but th- I didn't care for any of the Cybermen bits. I loved all the Gallifrey Law bits. I have a feeling that it was originally pitched as an exclusively Gallifrey Law episode and the BBC bigwigs were like... The fuck, this is Doctor Who finale. It's not 1984. Had to it's not the... 1984 anymore, loves. You can't just do Arc of Infinity again. <laughs> and then take like a big drag on a cigar. <laughs> and Chimmel's just there like rubbing his thumbs together, being like, I will bide my time. You will give yeah. me the lore episode I desire. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, some of it at sort least of it wasn't counters loops. a lot of Omega and this whole canon. But that also happens in cultures that have existed for X amount of time anyway. Your your historical canon becomes a work of fiction after a certain yeah. amount of retelling. Historicity, historiography, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Primary and secondary sources. It is interesting. Um especially when you consider that like, you know, the idolization of Rassilon, everyone was kind of like, Ooh, but yeah. we don't really want Rassilon back. <laughs> Um, it's like the pre-Surak Vulcans or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, we're all horny back then and I don't like it. <laughs> um, I mean, anyway. it seems like the, the Time Lords are very horny now and trying to ignore it and it's, the tension yeah. is chef's kiss. Right, should we move very on good. to the last episode? Probably ought to, probably ought to. Episode four. Fortunately, the Doctor and Nyssa manage to slip away and return to the TARDIS. Yay! Yay! Um, they use the scant knowledge provided by Tegan to determine that Omega has established his base in Amsterdam on Earth, something to do with the water pressure, and head um, there immediately. Yeah, the the reason that he established it there is the technobabble, but Amsterdam is like the sea, it's, it's a, the, the middle of the Arc of Infinity, the sea level will prevent 
like explosions or something. It's it doesn't mean anything, does it? <laughs> it means that John Nathan Turner wanted to piss about in Amsterdam for a weekend. Yeah, and that's valid. You know, that's can't blame him. I would love to. I've heard of JNT doing. Yeah, I'd love to piss about in Amsterdam. So I've barely bad. left my house for the last year. I would love yeah. to. Like we go there, we take some party drugs, and we have fun. I have to imagine that's what they did. <laughs> it must be. It must be. But yeah, so uh, I the... like the whole process of them attempting to find Tegan by going to, like, there's this scene where they go to the phone booth and look up JHC, which is what it's Tegan so said, and the doctor is like, "We'll have to phone them all up," and then he goes, "Uh, Nissa, money." <laughs> Because he doesn't have any money. I love him. He like, he's pulling, pulling everything out of his pockets, like the cricket ball, the hat. He puts the hat on. He's like, well, I guess we're just going to have to go to all of them on foot. And then I assume in like the fifth one, they find out where <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's just it's... a fun sequence. Yeah, it is. It's comedic and it lands. After a lengthy hunt, they find the lair um, to the Frankendale crypt defended by the Ergon, and Nyssa disposes of it with its own matter converter because Nyssa yes. is a badass. She fucking is. Yeah. They reach Omega's TARDIS at the point at which both the ship is destroyed and Omega makes full transference to Earth using the Ark of Infinity. When he peels his decayed mask away, he reveals the features of the Doctor. This isn't Which used I enough in the episode. Fucking love it. You, you have <laughs> Peter Davidson being both the Doctor and Omega, sort of in like a black turtleneck. Yeah. Lip syncing. So it's it's good. <laughs> I wish they'd done more of it, because, you know, it yeah. could have been like a salamander in two thing, but it ends up just kind of... Yeah. And then he goes off in his Frankenstein's monster around Amsterdam for a bit. Yep, it's really know, fun. But... There's a lot of, like, um, scenes of him being very confused by Earth. Yeah, it's funny. He barges through this crowd. A child pushes past him. He just glares down at the kid as the kid like smiles nervously up at him. Yeah, and eventually, it's brilliant. Away. It's very good. Omega heads off into Amsterdam with the Doctor, Nissa, and Tegan in hot pursuit. <laughs> Within a short time, the Doctor's prediction of an unstable transfer begins to come true. Omega's flesh decays, and it's Whoa. clear his new body is not permanent. It looks like it's rotting mm. off him. It's brilliant yeah. makeup, flawless. I love it. Yeah, the progression of it's really fun too. Mm -hmm. When the Doctor, Tegan, and Nissa catch up with him, it is a painful task for the Doctor to use Ergon's matter <laughs> converter on Omega, expelling him back to his own universe of antimatter. The Time Lord High Council on Gallifrey detects the end of the threat. I hadn't twigged that that was what he did. <laughs> Me neither. I just thought I he thought was he just killed him, <laughs> killing him, finishing the job. Finishing Everyone it up. thought he was just killing him, but no, actually, I i mean, to be fair, it was, was it the mass converter? It was the thing with the, it was a ray gun he had in two parts in his jacket, because of course he did, and he like clicks it together and over goes like, you'll never do it, doctor. And um, he does. And he does. Stone cold. Um, not as stone cold as Nyssa, though, who is the action queen of this serial. Yes, she's so good. Once Tegan has checked on her cousin's progress in hospital... She decides to rejoin the TARDIS crew. Yeah, this time as a willing traveller, which I love. The first time she just accidentally ended up there and was nagging the doctor to get home, and now yeah. she's choosing. She has autonomy, and she's like, yeah. "Yes, I would like this," and I love it. She's like, "I love it." Nissa's like, "I wish you didn't have your job so you could come with us." And she's like, "Didn't I tell you I got the sack?" <laughs> so, and they all just laugh. Oh, it's good. Ah. It's good. They do cut it slightly too late, so you see Peter Davison going from acting as five to just, like, neutral face. But other than that... 
<laughs> Still good. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. Love it. I just really enjoyed it. It was such a fun story. Yeah, it really it really ticks along, you know. It it goes it goes at its own pace. It's 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 full of stuff most of the time. <laughs> Characters are fun. Always love a little bit of Gallifrey and bullshit, but not too much. That's, yeah. I think this was the right amount of Gallifrey bullshit. Yeah, no, exactly. It was pretty well balanced. I do think the last episode lost some of the drive the rest of the serial had because it was a bit like, why are they here? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why is Omega running around in a boiler suit? <laughs> I was having too much fun to care. Yeah, no, like I don't know. I I, w- I was in the in inside the episode having a whale of a time. That's fair. I just got a bit taken out of it, I think, because I was like, wait, what? There's this one bit where they knock someone's shopping over and then spend about 20 seconds trying to put it back in the bag and then the Doctor seems to remember that they have an important task to do. So <laughs> I just, and they run off and drop the guy's bag again. It's good, but I was yeah. like a little bit taken out by it. An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. <laughs> Let's talk about Mr. Floofy Hair. Um, Very floofy, so soft. What conditioner is he using? I don't know, but I want to use it. This was the 1980s as well. I can't imagine conditioner was as advanced then as it is now. And yet... Um, and yet he's perfected hair. Yeah, Peter Davison is just very good at being the Doctor, I think. He has a certain level of, like... like He has just enough edge to it. <laughs> While also being our sweet boy. Our sweet man. Yeah, I think Six describes it as feckless charm. Yeah, the feckless charm is very much apparent. It's so good. He's a delight to watch. He looks like he's having a good time, as well as just being really good at getting in on this political intrigue going on in Gallifrey. And there's a bit where... um, I think it's in episode two before he's about to be killed, (laughs) and Nissa's trying to stop it happening. And he's just like, no, it's my fate in a sort of knowing way with like, but I have a plan, it'll be fine. And it's just yeah. so I know that Omega take. won't let me die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's all good stuff. Um, and, you know, um, like, yeah. I think the I like costume, it... I want him to take the coat off more often because the coat does not flow as well as every other Doctor's coat, including Sixes. This is too beige. <laughs> too beige, yeah. Too beige. Um... I like it when he references past companions. Um, yes. Shout outs to both Romana and Leela, which is great because Leela, of course, stayed on Gallifrey. I love her. Leela is my ride or die. She's a bit problematic, but I don't care. She's my yeah. fave. You know, that I have never seen a full Leela story. Oh my God. Oh, she's so good. She's so However, good. I think. Based on our uh, random number generator, my first one may well be uh, the talons of Wang Chiang. So I hope she's good in that one. <laughs> I hope so. What's the... Um, there's one, I can't remember the title of it, set in a lighthouse and it's fucking brilliant. Oh, Horror of Fang Rock. I love the title of it so much. I still haven't bloody watched it. I think it's one I of my favourite four yeah. stories. I That's fair. really enjoy it. It, it takes a lot it, of my... It. <laughs> it's gothic bullshit it's slightly spooky it's really nice. fun nice i just want to once again mention the pocket gag the joke that the doctor <laughs> has a million things in his pockets but not money i just think it's the funniest so running joke in all of classic who like i think we had it with two we've had it with mm-hmm. five and we definitely had it with seven um, we must have had it think, with four as well yeah i think we eventually have it with maybe 10 or 11 but you know they don't have as many pockets 
so to speak. And maybe that is the the the, the biggest flaw of modern Who. Yeah, I mean, I just pockets. think that thirteen. I love her outfit. I want her to have more pockets. I want her to have like cargo pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe she has a bunch of pockets within the coat. Yeah. Speaking of costumes, though, I just want to say I did think it. I did. I did like that Nissa and Tegan, they are both wearing heels, which is not the most practical on cobbles, but they're a low heel. It's not too bad. Low bar. Yeah. I was just there like, well, Nissa's ones are like sensible ankle boots with a low heel. Tegan has just mm-hmm. come from um, um, England to to Amsterdam on holiday. And now she's just trapped with these shoes forever. <laughs> it's like, if you were to go on a yeah. holiday knowing that when you got there, you would end up becoming the doctor's companion and would be stuck with your one pair of shoes forever, which pair of shoes would you wear? Well, this is how I choose all of my clothes that I wear. Of course. Would I be happy ending up travelling in the TARDIS wearing this outfit? Today I'm wearing a dark navy corduroy dungarees with a Ooh. black shirt with rainbow dots on it. And a platypus necklace. I would be happy to travel in the TARDIS like this. Yes. Yes. I'm not fully dressed today, but I am wearing my K9 t-shirt, so... Beautiful. That would be meta. (laughs) I I would love that to happen. Yeah. It's from the Zavi collection, and it says, Imagine your very own robot dog. And I'm like, I would like to imagine it. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It's a good boy. He's a very good boy. Oh, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman? Hey. Your wife, Nissa. is my wife, Nissa. My action space pixie, Nissa, who is so good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very science-y. She's portrayed very much as the Doctor's equal throughout this. I really like their dynamic. I love how invested she is in saving him. I love the, the, the little... The way she says that she's Miss Tegan and the way they look at each other and she's just incredible. She's easy to watch is the main thing, yeah. I think. Sarah Sutton's really good. There's like, you know, yeah. she's just very good at kind of the emotional scenes just to kind of play them at just the right level. Yes, um, And, you know, it's nice to think that in the gap between Time Flight and this, because we have that big finish knowledge, we know that she and the, the Doctor have had like a lot of adventures <laughs> Yeah, and they, they've to, really found their, yeah. their rhythm, I think. Yeah, to have that equality. And we know that Peter Davison said Nissa was his favourite companion, which is, you know, it's valid because Nissa's the best. Um, and the dynamic really does work as a one-to-one companion thing. It really Even does. though I love I love having Tegan there more because Tegan. Tegan's fantastic. However, I I always enjoy seeing the Doctor's one-on-one dynamics yes. with companions. Yes. Especially when we have quite a busy TARDIS. Definitely, yeah. God, so it's nice to give them. It's nice to give them some space just to Indeed. work together. And yeah. there's there's some th- scenes where um, they're sort of in the TARDIS before the Doctor gets executed and trying to have this this plotting session in Nissa's room with Damon. And yeah, it's so it's good. good. They're planning, and then as soon as Maxwell walks in, um, the Doctor immediately goes to that, and oh, we can't do anything about it, and I must die. <laughs> Yeah, Nissa There's deals with scheming. that very well. There is. Scheming is good. Do you, yeah. do you want to talk Tegan, about your wife? Um, Tegan is my wife, my Australian wife. I get an Australian wife because my sister got an Australian wife in real life. It's <laughs> <laughs> only fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, I just, I just love Tegan. Every time she turns up, I'm like, oh my god, that's my girl. Like, mm-hmm. she's so no nonsense about things. She goes straight to the police, even, and she's like, well, they're useless. I guess we got to go and save him ourselves. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. 
she is very willing to go back into it. She's like, well, I got the sack and I'm glad to have this um, holiday. And she's just so like willing to go along with things, but still has her own like, no, I'm not going to do that or like yeah. you need to listen to me kind of vibe, which I really enjoy. Um, when Ergon is like, you know the doctor or Omega is, and she's like, yes, I do know the doctor. <laughs> And she says she's friends with the Doctor, and I'm like, yes, you are friends with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. All the companions are friends with the Doctor, even after they leave the yes. TARDIS. It's just, it's really charming, and she looks really cute in this outfit, as we've mentioned, although it must get cold. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, she's just great. I think, how regularly does the Doctor refer to his companions as companions? Because I know that when they're on Gallifrey, Niss is introduced as his companion, and I mean, it struck me as, does he always call them companions? I don't know. How frequently does this happen? Is it just Let's how they were talked about up. and then it became canon? Companion was a somewhat vague term used to describe the Doctor's closest friends. Somewhat vague. Um, Maybe I should describe my closest friends as companions. See how that yeah. goes. I don't know when the first one was. Apparently uh, the Daleks uses the, use the term associate, <laughs> which is quite fun. Colleague. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. If you know, please tweet us. When was the time? Well, what are some times that the Doctor has specifically referred in canon to his companions rather than just going, that's Ian and that's Barbara. <laughs> and I kidnapped them. Um, <laughs> I love them. Sorry, I have to mention them at least once an episode or I'll explode. Yeah, um, I worry about you until you mention them. Yeah, you don't know that it's definitely me until I mention them. Yeah, it could be an imposter <laughs> I'm recording with. Exactly. On your knees, Colin and Robin backpacking yep. together. Very gay. It's cute. It's cute. <laughs> it is. I want to clarify, since my dad listens to this, I'm aware you weren't backpacking with a friend. It's not always gay, Dad. <laughs> it's just that Colin and Robin However, are very gay. The dynamic they are very is, in love. is tender. Robin is so concerned about Colin when he goes missing... Um, yeah, and when he goes back to see him being mind controlled and is very confused yeah. and worried. Yep, it's really cute. Uh, Robin and Tegan and W uh, M L M W L W solidarity. Absolutely. We love to see it. We love to see it. <laughs> it's just their entire vibe, and I love it. Especially when they're in like this cafe in Amsterdam. <laughs> making yeah. pots and I'm just like oh I love it yeah. I just love the energy in this Doing shrooms, room I don't know yeah probably <laughs> like that's why it's such a weird just, episode maybe they all just stuck around in Amsterdam for a little bit afterwards Tegan was like well I've come to Amsterdam specifically <laughs> to do illegal things so I would like to get to do them while I'm here <laughs> now that is a short trip I'd like to read if only, if only. Um, we also have the physical imprint of bonding. We've already talked about Omega wanting mm. the Doctor's body. It's it's mm-hmm. funny, and it is it is it is ero- uh, homoerotic. Um, <laughs> this is I missed you at the end. Very cute. I just like how Very they instantly cute. fall back into step with each other. Adorable. <laughs> yeah, they're just so comfortable together. Yeah, I love it. I think Gallifreyan culture is gay. It's yeah, like, Hawkeshaw gay. And I really need to see a relationship mapping graph of the entire High Council. Yeah. These are very old beings. They are going to have dated in various 
configurations. Oh, they absolutely must have, right? I need to know. Like... I need to know the dating map of Gallifrey. <laughs> I'm sure that if we listen to the Gallifrey audios, we might get to learn more. Um, I need I'll get around to, to it one day. <laughs> one day. But yeah, like, I don't know. You saying Hokuto also reminded me. I watched The Devil Wears Prada yesterday for the first time. <laughs> it's a gay movie. A movie. <laughs> it's a it's, very it a gay movie. movie. It's a film. Oh. Um, it's a good film. Uh, you've put something about hidden framing the president. No, I haven't said it right. I haven't said it right once this episode, which is consistent <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, I may be reading too much into this, but no, never. exes are they? Exes. They have that I mean, vibe. They could be. They could be. I just it makes me worry that Time Lords are super bad at having healthy breakups. Look at the Master and the Doctor. Maybe they just yeah. need relationship counselling. I think all Time Lords are destined to have one weird homoerotic nemesis ship. Kismesis, if you will. Um, which I won't, <laughs> personally. As I don't know what Homestuck is. Um, I feel like we have, like, an average of at least one Homestuck reference per episode. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't this. know what Homestuck is. And I never will and never have. Don't look at the photos of me cosplaying. <laughs> Those were the days. I was brisker. I was a good brisker. I can um, imagine. Yep. Thank you. But yeah, Commander Maxwell just has a gay vibe. Haughty gay. Um, Haughty gay. Little feathers in his hat. Yep. He's a bad gay. I love yep. him. Very dramatic. Very pompous. Uh, he does is evidently have... gay for him. Because he is he extremely uh, lawful, neutral, lawful evil. Because as soon as they're like, well, actually, he didn't. We're not going to kill him. He's like, well, okay, I guess we won't kill the doctor. <laughs> Um, but he's not happy about it. He's not happy about it. He loves to hunt Time Lords for sports. <laughs> uh. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. This episode, this story first broadcast over in January 1983. Um, according to the show notes... Oh, I should put that later. One second. Ignore me. Ignore me okay. while I um, rearrange my, my thing, which I made very planningly. There we go. That's all in the same place. All right. So there were some Buckwild casting options um, for this. So Sean Arnold and Patrick Stewart were considered for the role of the Castellan. Glenn Owen, William Lucas and Morris Denham, none of whom I think I know were considered for Hedden. Mm. Pierce Brosnan was considered for Maxwell. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he was doing at this point, but he hadn't been Bond, so he was presumably Not a small actor. But imagine if he'd got it. A, the vibe would be very different. <laughs> Colin Baker was cast as Maxwell after assistant floor manager Lynn Richards recalled seeing Baker in City at the Edge of the World, a 19 episode, 1980 episode of our favourite show, which I've yes. never seen, Blake Seven. Yes, City at yeah, City at the Edge of the World. We talked about this before on yeah. the Twin Dilemma episode. Twin Dilemma. It is Leather Daddy Colin Baker and it rocks. It rocks. Yep. Yep. Brighten your day by Googling Colin Baker in yes. Lake Seven. Maybe not directly Leather Daddy Colin Baker. I don't know what that would put up. <laughs> I've seen quite <laughs> I've seen quite a lot of these like casting considerations on the behind the scenes stuff. So many of them mention Patrick Stewart. They really wanted to get Patrick Stewart on this show. I think this was yeah. pre-TNG as well. Yeah, or, um, yeah just pre, because that started in 88 or 89? 85? Let's find out. I know it was late 80s. It Let's was see. 87. Yeah, at this point... Um... 
apparently he once asked uh, Lala Ward why she would work in science fiction or on television. <laughs> Look at you now, Patrick. Yeah. He was in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He was in uh, Hamlet. He was in North and South, but in 1975, not the Richard Armitage one. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did a couple of things. He's um, he's a good actor, I think he we is. can confidently say. I th- yeah, I think we can safely say that Patrick Stewart they, is a I good actor. I think we can say this. Um, yeah, lots of... Lots of um, Thoughts of Shakespeare. He was also in I, Claudius, which I didn't know. Oh, he was in Dune? My goodness. I don't know anything about that. Oh, it's a... I'm a bad science fiction fan because I've never understood Dune or read it or seen it. I don't know a lot about it. I didn't realise that the film was directed by David Lynch. Um, I just know of it because of Lindsay Ellis talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite hard to escape. So Ian Collier takes on the role of Omega previously played by Stephen Thorne in season 10's The Three Doctors, which we might have mentioned once or twice this episode. Just a few times, yeah. And linking back to our previous episode, Collier had appeared once before in the series as Stuart Hyde in season 9's The Time Monster. Feminist icon Stuart Hyde. And he (laughs) ended up being Omega, who is not a feminist icon. Yes, I just want to give a quick, just one more piece of Patrick Stewart trivia, which is that he was reluctant to sign the six-year contract for Star Trek TNG, but his agent was like, eh, I'll probably get two seasons and then you can come back. (laughs) Um, Which did not happen. It could have done after that god-awful first season, but, you know, this isn't a TNG podcast, and it never will be. (laughs) Um, Don't say that. In our 50s, we'll end up doing TNG. No. No. When they were filming on location in Amsterdam, crowd control (laughs) proved to be a major issue throughout the shoot, um, with Dutch viewers recognising Peter Davidson from All Creatures Great and Small, of all things. I loved that he was little little baby vet boy. Yes. Um, It's all on BritBox now, finally. (sighs) So good. I assume it still will be. Yeah, probably. John Nathan Turner tried to assist Ron Jones in dealing with the onlookers and is visible in the transmitted version of the, of the story, <laughs> gesturing away a group of onlookers in the background of the part of part four scenes of the Doctor and Nissa at the telephone box. <laughs> at one point, Nathan Turner's attempts at crowd control became dangerous when an elderly woman assumed he was a thief and attacked him. Why not, I guess? I love it. I love it. This show is Buckwild. Everything about yep. the show is Buckwild. Yep. It's a lot of fun. I'm really excited about uh, this next piece of trivia. <laughs> thought you might be somehow. Yeah. Uh, Peter Davidson claimed that he was planning to use a dildo he purchased in Amsterdam as a weapon to kill Omega, but because they were running behind schedule, he didn't get a chance. I am sad. I would have loved to see this dildo killing this antimatter monster who'd stolen his face. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, like, what must the dildo look like that he thought he could get it past... JNT. <laughs> in this theoretical universe where he actually bought one and he's not just lying for clout. Um. <laughs> oh, I can see him doing it. I think it would be very funny if he tried to do one take without letting anybody know and just pulls this dildo out of his pocket. No, I can see he it kept happening. flapping all the other takes. I'm surprised that the Doctor has never pulled a dildo out of his pocket at random and then gone, mm, it's not mine. <laughs> hey, Chris Chibnall. Yeah. <laughs> Make Sasha Dewan's master do it. Oh my god. Well, he <laughs> he would just raise his eyebrows at the doctor like, I remember this from, you know, 
unit headquarters. <laughs> it's fine. Are you I sentimental think... thing, Doctor? Keeping yes. that after all this time? <laughs> <laughs> Love them. Love them. <sighs> all right. We now enter the Colin Baker subsection of the section because there's a quite a quite a few Colin specific facts. Yep, um, he's the best. He's so good. John Nathan Turner nicknamed Colin Baker Archie because <laughs> he gave the archest performance he's ever seen in rehearsal. Um, Baker had to remove his elaborate helmet <laughs> as he kept bumping into doorways and arches on the set, so he spent most of the story of the helmet under his arm against his hip. He later said he felt like he was carrying a chicken around and took to calling it the chicken. Cute! I love it! I love it so much. Um, Colin Baker played Maxwell not as a guest role, but as someone who thinks he's starring in his own series. Which shows. As a result, John Nathan Turner had to tell him that it's called Doctor Who, not the bloke who's a guard in the background. And yet, Colin was valid for doing it. He was right. (laughs) Yeah, he was. It's like that one extra in um, Vincent and the Doctor. (laughs) So I love it. That's a good story. Yeah, it is. Colin Baker was a fan of the show and delighted yes. to play a guest role, but he was also disappointed that this meant he could never play the Doctor. Glad that he did. Um, and according to the show notes, we had again, there's somebody who writes show notes with so much humour, I don't know who it is, because I keep forgetting to look at the end of it when he credits himself. Um, according to the show notes, Colin Baker plays Commander Maxill. This is his most significant contribution to the world of Doctor Who. (laughs) I found absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Good joke. Good joke. Very good. Yes. Um, I I love him. I'm glad that not only did he bring so much joy to the story itself, he brought so much joy behind the scenes as well. Um, And the last thing I would like to bring to this... um, galaxy crossing behind the scenes segment is the original pitch for this story which is i would love to see it so the original storyline involved the doctor suffering nightmares about his own regeneration which were a precursor to the arrival in our universe of an entity called the avatar who takes on the doctor's form and goes to amsterdam operating there as neiman the, the Avatar begins to take control of human minds, striving to create a form in which it will be able to permanently maintain its existence. The Doctor and Nyssa discover Neiman's plot when they land in a future version of Amsterdam, which is populated by robot guards called Sweepers, the Elderly Resisters, and the Barbamic Anarchs. Realising that history has been altered, they travel back in time to present-day Amsterdam. There, the Doctor discovers that the Time Lord regeneration is the mechanism by which the Avatar is made manifest. The Avatar is defeated when the Doctor relives his own recent regeneration. What? Mm. What? It's a fun one. I've just found out that the reason Nissa is so gung-ho this episode is because it was supposed because to, it was be meant to be Leela. 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 Yeah. Leela was meant to be it. That would have been fun. That would have been really fun. That would have been James so fun. fun. It would have been really good. Um, but I don't mind that it meant that we got a little bit more of action Nissa. So yeah, no oh, definitely not. Definitely not. It's just, it's, 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 I mean, just go to the TARDIS wiki page and look at the show notes because it's all fantastic. <laughs> I picked the best ones, but there's a lot yes. of good shit there. Well, we'd all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute. I'm not going to miss all no, the No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz, this time I think he's right. Not a lot because this one, like, 
like it's it's not like everything that it attempts to do it essentially succeeds at like Mm -hmm. it's just that what it attempts to do occasionally i'm a bit like i wish you'd done more with it doctor who i do want to say i like this is just something that i did because i like phonics but ergon sounds a little bit like igor and i was like oh he's like omega's (laughs) igor Um, ah, and, and they Omega... do have the Frankenstein homage yeah. in episode four. Yeah, yeah, it's very much a Frankenstein's monster situation with him wandering around in a boiler suit, going. <laughs> um, the first three episodes, it didn't really matter at all that it was filmed in Amsterdam. It felt like it needed a bit more um, local geography, Reason? yeah, or importance because it looks lovely. But I mean, I guess they wanted to show that the world existed outside of the three villages in Wiltshire they kept using. Yeah, and the quarry. Um, <sighs> though we do love the quarry. Maybe that's what this episode is missing, a good quarry. <laughs> yeah, I think any episode can be improved with a quarry. Any episode. Mm-hmm. Prove me wrong. It's stati- it's scientifically proven, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've... I... Man... Ca- <laughs> we already talked about chameleon circuits... The form Omega has given his TARDIS, he can choose. He can choose it now. Maybe he has like a. Actually, no. It doesn't make sense for him to have a more advanced version of a TARDIS. Because no, it he's... doesn't. A- Aim oh. has put Rosie. This would expect Doctor Who to have a consistent internal logic. Um, like if it is an old TARDIS, maybe it's wrong? that you had to program the the appearance of it yourself. But they don't say that. Um, they just have mm. a throwaway line of dialogue that has got has wormed its way into my brain and will never leave. I'll be sixty years old and still complaining about it, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I wish they'd at least mention the events of the three doctors because even when they say Omega is dead, that could be a reference to the fact that they thought he died when he got sent to the universe of antimatter. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to have a little bit more of that. Um, especially because I like it when law builds on law. And like I said, like Doctor Who having internal logic, it often doesn't build on its own law. <laughs> yeah, um, I wish it did because there's so much potential there. Yeah, even though it's I guess definitely... that's what happens when it oh, wasn't it's... originally pitched as the epic it became. Yeah, it's it's an example um, of like an earlier show that had internal continuity, but because of that, it ends up messing up. Like I don't know, this mm. is this is an example I always give because I adore it. But the television show Mash was one of the earlier attempts of having character continuity, but they did not have uh, temporal continuity at fucking all because they had ele- the, 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 the Korean War last for 11 years, <laughs> including multiple iterations of the years like 51, 52, and 53. Um, hmm. That was in the 70s. This is in the 80s, and they simply just don't attempt to call back to those older stories, and I think they need yeah. to because it will be fun. Like, they do I wonder if that's something... Stuff, but... I wonder if that's something that we as modern viewers see more because we've always had access to like box sets and yeah. DVDs and more recently streaming where we could go back and piece together internal yeah. logic. I think that's part of why MASH sort of, it does its best with it, but often it ends up kind of stumbling a bit. Like just yeah. the the idea that people before when they were watching, like unless it was a soap opera, because soap opera as a continuing drama has always had like character continuity. Mm. But um like before that, before MASH sitcoms didn't really do that. And before Doctor Who, no. there wasn't really a show like Doctor Who. And even contemporaneous yeah. to Doctor Who, there wasn't really a show like Doctor Who. Even Blake Seven or fucking Space Cops or whatever. Um, it sort of makes me want. So most shows that are made now will have a massive show Bible with notes about the universe, consistencies, etc., etc. When was that introduced to Doctor Who? And who 
like the council of Nicaea choosing what goes in the Bible. <laughs> that's I me. That's it. I am the council of Nicaea. Um. <laughs> um, who who initially made that document how regularly is it updated I don't know I mean we know that they made one for the movie when it was the going to movie, be a TV series yeah, because, but, but I wonder if that's because it was a new project yeah. and they were able I wonder to, when the concept of the that bible, bible that they made there sounded like they rewrote quite a bit of canon bible screenwriting a reference document blah 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 blah, blah. uh I mean, there was one for Frasier. <laughs> I can't find okay. like an example of when they were invented, but there's one for SpongeBob. <laughs> of course, there is. Yeah, the Wikipedia page is very short. If you know anything about this, please let us know. Neither of us work in entertainment or media or anything like that. Um, though we would love to. Though I would love to, but uh, we just work in podcast. Uh, and also in our actual <laughs> jobs that give us money <laughs> unlike podcasts uh, though maybe we'll have sorted out the patreon by now who yeah. knows this who episode's knows? coming out in a very long right. time this one's yours so i'll leave it to you to elaborate on it's to me so i'm not quite sure if this counts as critiques but having one half of the story on earth and the other half on gallic gray mostly works um, sometimes it's a bit jarring, especially when we cut back to Tegan and Robin for like less than ten seconds, which happens numerous times. Yeah, there's and it one... doesn't feel as jarring as some other episodes that split the party, mm. but it still feels a little bit out of tempo with itself. There's one where it cuts to Robin sat hunched against a wall for literally maybe two seconds, and then cuts back, and it's like, oh, you're trying to establish yeah. what he's doing, but we don't need However, it. You could just cut later and then have two scenes with him in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does feel a little bit jumpy, but I think that it works fairly well with establishing the setting, uh, especially because mm. the Gallifreyan set is, um, I'm not going to say that it's elaborately designed. <laughs> it's just some corridors. It's the Gallifrey, it's fucking bland. Yeah, the outfits are amazing. And then the actual backgrounds are just kind of like, eh, there's some grey walls. And over there, we've got some more grey walls. And then we've got, um, some, some grey walls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I think that's, in terms of critique, it doesn't have enough substance to warrant more. And if anything, the critique would be, give us more stuff going on so we have more to talk about. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. I've gone through the Ark of Infinity and I've entered the universe of antimatter, wherein I have found some expanded universe facts. So, Omega in the EU. Yay. This is some TARDIS wiki knowledge. Uh, Omega was born as Palix because all Time Lord Gallifrey names are odd. Um, also <laughs> called Omegon and worshipped as Ohm, was a great intergalactic engineer and co-founder of Time Lord Society. But centuries of loneliness and isolation bent his mind so that he threatened the entire universe. This is established in The Three Doctors because um, he's been on his own in this universe of antimatter forever. He keeps it all together through the force of his will, including his own body, which he doesn't have anymore. It vanished. Um, I assume decayed. <laughs> yeah. Um... There were many texts created in the time of Rassilon, uh, referring to the triumvirate of Rassilon, Omega, and the other, which is a thing that Andrew Cartmel came up with that I still don't a hundred percent understand. I'm sure I'll discuss it on our next episode. Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> Ooh. 
Um, but yeah, and they were known as the Elder Books of the Dark Time, which is a very Doctor Who novel thing I to like call it. someone. And I, yeah. I love it. Um, Rasselon and Omega became solar engineers, a respected class of scientists among Gallifreyans. Uh, well, Rasselon dreamed of immortality, that's established in the five Doctors as well. Omega, believing immortality to be impossible, turned him over to the prospect of developing time travel. Now, if we... <laughs> Uh, like i'm sure that at the same time as this someone else is dealing with regeneration <laughs> timeless yeah. children um, yeah yeah they worked on the project for several years until they had developed the final form of the plan to detonate a black hole and funnel its power back to gallifrey which they presented before the gallifreyan council they were initially dismissive but tucson's cat spoke out in favor of the two engineers and they received the funding Wait. they needed cat no further information given to me what? Oh my god, I fucking love this show. I'll Everything have to read I'll have to read the legacy of Gallifrey and let you know. Um by the time of the experiment and his death, Omega had married a Gallifrey known as Patience. This is possibly an alternate universe though, because it's from the Infinity Doctors, which is a bit of a mind screw of a book, as far as I understand. With the power unleashed by a supernova, the two hope to generate uh what why is it a mind screw? Well, I think that's yeah. the one where they established that there's a bunch of different timelines that are all true simultaneously about the Doctor's existence, which is why the comics, the audios and the books are all canonical to varying extents depending on which point in the Doctor's timeline you're looking. Of course. Of course. I think it's the one okay. that does that. Uh, yeah, that explains it's it all. fucking complicated. Um, if you've read the Infinity Doctors, please don't at me because I'm going to read it one day. One day. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the power unleashed by a supernova, the two hoped to generate enough power to travel through time somehow. As Gallifrey's galaxy <laughs> had only one population three star at that time, they decided to destroy that one. Now, a population three star, I did look at it. It doesn't mean that there's a large population around it, thank God. It means that it is of the correct size and age to be induced to supernova without too many negative effects, I believe. Is oh, the, is, okay. Is the I hate it. Um, the star in an area known as the Sector of Forgotten Souls in the constellation of Owl uh, bore the name, and I can't say this name, Chikaba? Kachaba? Something like that? It's 2Q-A-B-A. Yeah, it's Q-Q-A-B-A. I think the supernova is the Eye of Harmony based on context, but it doesn't say... It just mentions the Eye of Harmony later. There's a lot of faff as i've said before there's a lot of faff in the doctor Who universe um after the three doctors omega survived the explosion of the universe of antimatter but he became trapped in a crimson bubble of time um, love it, he love began it, love taking it. yeah he began taking spacecraft into his realm including the regalian or rigelian seventh fleet the disappearance of which was investigated by canine mark one now calling himself omegon and claiming that the time lords had made an emperor and then betrayed him he used the thousands of spaceships he had collected to launch an attack on gallifrey to get his revenge however canine launched his spacecraft uh, huh? However, Kaelin launched his spacecraft KNEL at the rocket stores of Omegon's flagship, destroying K-N-E-L, it in a colossal explosion. <laughs> yeah, Kennel. In a colossal explosion which seemingly killed Omegon, and that is from the book Canine and the Time Trap. Because um, there Beautiful. were. You know, there were canine-centric books. I haven't managed to find a PDF of that one yet, but I'll let you know. Uh, and then I have a segment <laughs> called The Bloody Matrix, because I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of the Matrix. It's confusing. I adore the Matrix. I love the Matrix. It's brilliant. But I love the Matrix, but also it is so many different things in its own way. It has no this... internal logic. Yeah. So the Matrix, officially called the Matrix of Time, was a supercomputer. It always was on the Times Wiki. A micro universe used by the High Council of the Time Lords as a storehouse of knowledge to predict future events, maintained by the Keeper of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. So makes sense so far. That doesn't. 
Does it? Um, as TARDIS possessed their own matrix, miniature versions, I guess, every Time Lord and TARDIS was connected to the central matrix on Gallifrey where their experiences were constantly being uploaded, which is established in an audio and a comic which I haven't read or listened to. For this reason, <laughs> the Eighth Doctor described the matrix as the sum total of all Time Lord experience, and in the Timeless Children, the Master called it the lived history of our race. Um, it has okay, something... so can I jump on the bullshit here? Please like, can do. I jump on my bullshit chain for half do. a second about the master as... and what he yes. says in the Timeless Children? Yes. So, all <sighs> of the info dump reveals about the Doctor's origins based on the Matrix are all from the mouth of the master. The yep. Doctor never enters the Matrix itself. I think that, again, I, I don't know if next series will have aired by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> Who knows? Um... I think that the Matrix has been tampered with and the Master is not seeing a true history because we've seen so many instances of the Matrix being fucked about with and I want them to go there. I also love that I think it's the first, it's definitely the first interaction that we have with it in New Who and I want more. I just, I just want more. There's... Which is hard now all of the Time Lords are Cybermen. As far as I understand it, there's kind of a mention of it in, I think, Hellbent. This is... As I this is as I understand. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Yeah. Um, so there's something to do with the cloister bell that is linked to the Matrix because it predicts the future and therefore theoretically could trigger the cloister bells. In okay, Hellbent, cool. there is there are these things called cloister wraiths, which are the uploaded consciousnesses of dead time lords. However. In the EU, there's also this concept called the Matrix Lords, which are the internal rulers Ooh. of the Matrix, which are the uploaded consciousnesses of dead Time Lords. Um, I love that this the, effectively Time Lord ghosts are canon. Yeah, yeah, Time Lord ghosts kind of are canon, and it's like there's that attributed level of agency as to like what they're allowed to do and how they work and all this kind of thing. And I'm assuming Cloister Wraiths now supersede the canon by appearing on television <laughs> but i still think it's interesting <laughs> to have those two different uh, elements of it now for the short trip of the week i actually uh forgot to read one so <laughs> um okay, i would instead like to talk about the fact that i read the novelization of dalek that's a short trip to the new oh series. i haven't finished it yet it's so good oh my god i'm enjoying it i'm about halfway through i'm robert really Schimann. enjoying it robert shimman you have once again you're constantly raising the bar. I love it. It's got it. It's the perfect kind of novelization. It reads exactly like a novelization, which I have the mm-hmm. <laughs> the knowledge to you, know. You know, you would know. Um, but it also reads better because, like, the backstory that it adds and the details that it adds all make sense within the context of the story. The, the, and it actually fleshes it out in it a way does. that's the, the level of detail it goes into for yeah. various minor characters. Yeah, and it's it adds- really. Good. Yeah, it feels Quite. purposeful, unlike maybe like the Twin yeah. Dilemma novelization. It doesn't always feel mm. cynical, and it has this beautiful level of empathy for the lone Dalek without excusing its actions necessarily. Yeah. It's like. It really portrays the Doctor's internal struggle as well. It, yeah. It puts them on a level playing field. And it has a really fucked up segment about the birth of Daleks. Like, oh my oh, I haven't god. Got there yet. It's so good, Amy. Ooh. It's so good. Um. Basically, I heartily recommend the Dalek novelization. If you haven't already got round to it, it's only just been published as we're recording. Um, it slaps. So you can guess when we're recording this. Yes. I also bought the TV movie novelization so I can see if there's any differences in the text. Um, I love you. You're the a nerd. PDF this. I am a nerd. I'm, yeah, I was attempting to reference uh, Moss from the IT crowd on that one, but I can't do his voice because Richard Ayoade <laughs> is peerless and unmatched. Um, my other short trip True. is a short trip 
outside of the Doctor Who universe because I just want to recommend a novella that I read today. Um, okay. It is Corey Doctorow's... Um, what's it called? Corey Doctorow's Unauthorized Bread. Um, it is available online. I'll put a link in the show notes, assuming it's still up. It is legally available online, to be clear. Um, it is a novella about a refugee who gets into like um like low like like social housing right so um what's it mm-hmm. called affordable affordable housing but it's set in this kind of near future slightly worse than now i wouldn't call it a dystopia because we're already kind of living in one where yeah. like appliances have like copyright for the food that you put in them so you can only put certain Ooh. kinds of foods in these appliances or you can only put certain kinds it, of dishes in it. a dishwasher and the company that runs the software for her toaster like goes bankrupt and folds so she can no longer use her toaster because the firmware isn't being updated so she That's learns incredible. to jail she goes she learns to jailbreak her toaster and from there <laughs> on it's like this exploration of the right of people to be able to use the appliances that are in their homes and like the relentless capitalism of copyright law and the idea of DRM free food and like she learns how to bake bread and it's this amazing experience, this thing that brings the whole community of this tower block together. But, you know, the company eventually comes back and they realize, you know, how are we going to conceal that we've been doing these things? Because we don't want to get kicked out of our housing because then as refugees, we're not going to have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. And it's just this like really fascinating exploration of it that goes to some places you'd expect and some that you wouldn't. And like, it's also despite everything quite uplifting, like the community aspect of it, it's just really nice. Um, so yeah, Unauthorized Bread, it's, well. it's really good. I will link you to it. Hang on, let me get Thank the... You. But yeah, Thank so you. that's the that's the Expanded Universe. I recommend uh, a novelization of an episode that's from 2005 and a novella that has nothing to do with Doctor Who. But I do feel like it could be the basis for a Doctor Who episode, right? Like a new Who episode about does, the dangers yeah. of Alexa. Um, that sounds... Really, like, yeah. it could be a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. It's a really logical extrapolation of the smart house idea, or the smart fridge. Like, they have smart fridges where you can only put certain kinds of food in, or you have to order these certain kinds of detergent for the washing machine from the, from the washing mm. machine. And then when she jailbreaks it, she goes to British the daughters. shop and realises that the actual detergent that you can buy from the shop is so much cheaper, and it doesn't give her rashes. So, yeah. It's just mm. fascinating. Like, it's 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 That's really, really interesting. interesting. Like it starts with bread and it just snowballs out into this whole thing, and it's amazing. And it's about like teaching younger people how to like interact with the world. It's it it's so good. Um, Get you the feeling you I, liked it a bit. Yeah. And while I'm recommending specfic, <laughs> do you have any spec, do you have any specfic recommendations? Let's turn this into a sci-fi podcast for a minute. Oh. Um... I'm. I've been in a bit of a reading slump lately, but I really love *The Doors of Eden* by Adrian Tchaikovsky. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast Ooh, before. I don't think so. I listened no. to it a couple of weeks back, and it hit a lot of spots for me. It's Adrian Tchaikovsky mm. is he trained as a biologist initially, and a lot of his books are about like animal bullshit and insect <laughs> bullshit. And on this one, he goes full into like evolution and parallel Ooh. world bullshit. Yeah, I've been meaning it's to fascinating. get into it's reading really Tchaikovsky, good. but I just haven't managed it yet. Um, I've only really done a couple of his like shorter 
pieces before. Yeah. Um, the audiobook for this is also read by Sophie Aldred, so it Ooh, is relevant to Doctor it Who. It is relevant. She's great. Um, she does the voices fantastically. That's yeah. probably what I'd recommend at the moment. Yeah. I've got a whole load of stuff piled up for the next couple of weeks. Um, and then my my other specific recommendation is anything by Vinajimin Prasad. Literally anything. Ooh, <laughs> not familiar. They did. I don't know pronouns, so I'm going to say they. But they did uh, Fan of mm-hmm. Robots, which was nominated for the Hugo for short story. Oh yes, I did hear of this one. Um, I think they I did, read that one. Yeah, they did a series of stakes, which is about copywriting meat. It's amazing. It's so oh, interesting. Amazing. Like, boot, like 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 black market, like printing 3D printed meat. Illegal is so good. Um, Amazing. And then more recently, they did this story. Um, oh, what's it called? It's about. I mean, I'll link to like their website and all of the stories. Usually, they're on Uncanny or Fireside, like somewhere you can read them. It's I've about got so much Uncanny, just like sitting yeah. on my Kindle. Yeah. Oh my god! Like this. Um. This kind of this comparison between AI robots and like working dogs, and um, it's this entirely shown in like a chat format between two ai robot ai robots who've been one of them's just been issued their first like robot body <laughs> um and has been assigned wow, this other okay. one as a mentor and is like you know bothering them with messages and questions and stuff and the mentor is like the reluctant grumpy older like slightly jaded oh, robot it's so good and love there's, the like, dynamic. there's these lovely twists and turns and it's just wonderful one of them works at a raccoon cafe <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. It's 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 really lovely. That anyway, sounds delightful. <laughs> let's let's end the impromptu recommendation portion of the podcast before I get slightly. Otherwise we will be here for a very long time. Yeah. We I'm like my bookshelf being like, Oh that's good. That's yeah. good too. Read Winter's Orbit. No, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I haven't I haven't read that one yet. Oh my god, it's so good. Um I've heard so many is it the one that was based on a fanfic or something? Yes, originally? it's the one by Ev um that yes. was originally original work on AO3 and then got taken down, reworked uh, and published. And it is cool. even better now and I already loved it on AO3. I think I must have missed it the first time round, and then um, all my friends are talking about it and I'm like, I'm so confused. Well it's very What was good. the first version? I don't think it's like the first book in a series and now I understand. <laughs> So I should pick it up. It sounds like my shit. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to rankings. So X of the week. What's your X of oh, the week? Oh, easy. Easy. Guest star of the week, Colin yep. Baker. Yeah, that's a really Cop good out, one. Cop out, maybe. Who cares? I love him. Yeah. Mine is um, effect of the week for anything to do with the Matrix. It's amazing. It's like the the, the Windows pipe screensaver. <laughs> that's what it <laughs> Oh my God, it is. for me, even though the colors aren't as vibrant. But like... It's this attempt to represent 3D space when they only have chroma key, and I really admire them for that. <laughs> they do their best with it. Yeah. And now... <laughs> Highly anticipated. <laughs> Every time I get to this point, I forget the tune, and then like later in the week, I'm like, oh my god, it's in my head. It's in my head. <laughs> so um, No, give me a sec. Give me a sec. I'm going to get it. Um, anyway, Six Degrees of Blake Seven, podcasting's favourite segment of all time. Everyone loves it. Uh, Michael Goff, who played Councillor Hedden, was in the Blake Seven episode Volcano, which was seriously episode three, as a character called Hower. Now, there are a couple of other one-to-ones. We've already talked about how Colin Baker was in an episode, and I think there was at least one other character who was in an episode, but I only wrote down this one, because when I find one, <laughs> I, wipe, I, ha- I wipe a comically large sweat bead from my forehead, <laughs> um, and I cross my arms and I go, that's my six degrees. But this time I checked on IMDb just to see for more info. Obviously, I've already mentioned he played the toy maker in The Celestial Toymaker, and he was Alfred in Batman 89, and I think Batman mm-hmm returns 
Um, and he's good in that. He's a good Alfred. <laughs> um, early drafts of the episode featured Blake and Janet in the place of Tarrant and Dana, which may not mean anything to someone who hasn't seen Blake 7, but essentially no. Blake leaves after series two, and so does Janet in, you know, circumstances I won't spoil. Um, so they had to replace the characters with two other characters. Do they die? To work. No, don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've not seen it. Um, and then Paul Darrow uh, fell and damaged his ankle during filming, making it necessary for the shooting schedule to be rearranged slightly. Riveting stuff, I know. Thanks, uh, IMDb. <laughs> and there was one goof. Callie's teleport bracelet falls off as she's being dragged into the teleport area because... Blake Seven, the first the first thing they do in the episode where they get the spaceship, they like explore it, and there's a teleporting area with bracelets that they put on, and you have to have it on to teleport or to be recalled by the teleporter. Um, and there's a whole series of 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 um, scenes where Avon is debating whether he should bring Blake back or not because they've just found a room full of like gold and diamonds. <laughs> And Avon is like, well, Blake okay. will make us sell it in order to finance his revolution, whereas I just want to be rich. <laughs> Um, but he brings it back. It's good. Okay. But yeah, so that's six series of Blake Seven. Uh, it was easy. Thank God. Thank you. That was fun. Duh, did it? <laughs> I nearly had it. No. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Do we? Do you want to keep trying, or shall we? Well, let's it? move on, and I'll get it. I'll get it. You'll get it as soon as we hang up the call. Yep. Um, out of five. I'd probably give this a solid four spooky crypts to sleep in out of five. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I think I'd give it... Ooh, I'd give it three and a half... Mm-hmm. Three and a half hostile workers out of five because there's at least two of them in the <laughs> that's story. That's about how many there are in the yeah, story. Yeah, And where do we put it? In our overall ranking. I got it! I fucking got it! I fucking got it! I'm so proud of you! After minutes of thought. Anyway, overall ranking. Let's get the overall ranking up. What's your heart telling you? Um, I need to check where we've put various things. I think it's, you know, it's fairly high. I just don't think it's like, I think what it does is fine, but it doesn't aim as high as some of the other stories. So, mm. right, overall ranking. Let's have a look. Mm. I think I would put it above Marinus and below Trakan or above Trakan and below Peladon. I'm not sure which. Somewhere in the seven to nine region. Even though I love Marinus more than anything in the entire world. <laughs> uh, where would you I... think? I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Trakan. Okay, then we can put it above Trakan. Yes. For anyone who hasn't been religiously keeping track of our ranking, that means it comes in at number eight after The Curse of Peladon. Uh, out of um, 19... What is it... I'm finding it. Yeah. Where do we think it's going to be on the DWR Mighty 200 poll? Based on some of the contemporary reactions, <laughs> it, it didn't seem well loved. I see. Don't know why. I think it's perfect. Um, yeah. Probably around 160. I'm going to say 110. Mm. 177? Ooh, what? It's not that low. No. That's wrong. It's really fun. No. What's wrong? What's wrong with it? It's below Silver Nemesis. It's below the Gunfighters. It's below Power of Kroll. It's below Fort Doomsday. It's below Galaxy Four. It's below a lot of stuff. Oh my god. And, it's 177. Above, I imagine it's below 176 things. Yeah, it's above the Web Planet uh, and also the mutants. <laughs> 
which is currently sitting pretty at number three That's on our ranking. Wild, The Mutants is one of the best pieces of television ever made. It's the best thing ever made and everyone should watch it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that is our ranking. It is your turn to do the outro, Aim. My turn. Thank you so much for joining us for another trek around Amsterdam um, <laughs> in reversing polarity. Um, if you've enjoyed it, then recommend us to your friends. Give us a quick shout out on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at PolarityPod or on Tumblr at PolarityPod.tumblr.com. Um, you can also follow us as people on yes. Twitter. Rosie is at Dot Sayers and I'm at Aim Tells Stories. That's A-Y-M Tells Stories. Um, join us next week yes. when we will be having an absolute blast yes. as we remember some Daleks.